This is the Foot in the Box podcast for the week of Monday, February 6th. And now, please rise for the singing of our Hello and welcome to episode 82 of the A Foot in the Box podcast. My name is Peter Elliott. And I'm Paul Elliott. And if you can't tell by the, uh, the sounds of our voices, uh, this is not our normal recording setup. Paul, would you like to tell listeners where you're calling from? Uh, yeah, I'm calling from about a mile and a half away from Peter at my uh, my house and uh, Peter's at his house. That's correct. Uh, it lends into the uh, podcast process uh, we had some audio issues with the uh, podcast that we had recorded on Sunday afternoon so we decided to re- uh, re-record most of the podcast uh, again here on Monday evening uh, you get our Super Bowl thoughts though so Paul uh, what uh, what did you make of the Super Bowl uh, it's incredible I mean I I think it's without question the greatest um the greatest NFL playoff game of all time, and that probably makes it the the greatest NFL game of all time. Um, yeah, I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Also, don't think there's any doubt about Tom Brady being the greatest uh, greatest quarterback of all time, and Belichick being the greatest coach. So, so many superlatives, but I think they're all warranted. Uh, were you rooting for the Patriots to come back? Yep. Yeah, I was I was actually kind of rooting for them the whole game, which didn't um, didn't go over well with the people we had over to our house to watch the game. But um, I really wanted to see uh, Goodell give the the trophy over to to Belichick and and Kraft. But that didn't that didn't really mean anything. What do you mean? Did you watch the post game? Yeah, he got booed. Yeah, but that, I mean, it was like ten seconds. Oh, I know. I mean. When I say I was rooting for them, it was just kind of like I was moderately interested in what that would be like. My my fandom tilted a little bit towards the Patriots, but I mean I didn't really care either way. But the you felt like what actually happened was worth rooting for them. Uh, sure, yeah. I mean I I don't have a hatred for Tom Brady. Um, I think Belichick's a kind of a sleaze bag, but uh, I don't. That doesn't really bother me that much. Yeah, I. I guess, I mean, I was curious to know how that would play out with Goodell, but I don't think uh, how that transpired met uh, anybody, anybody's expectations. Yeah. I mean, you were were you rooting for the comeback? I was rooting for the comeback because I like uh, comebacks and I didn't want to blow out. Um, once it got to overtime, and even uh, when the Patriots uh, scored the touchdown to go down by two, um, I would have been fine with them not getting a two-point conversion, and then I was rooting for the Falcons in overtime. Yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, I, I normally don't. Um, I'd like to like throw around momentum as a as a word, or you know, as being meaningful at all in term, determining the outcome of a game. But it just felt like you know, after at least after the Patriots were within eight, you just kind of knew. You had this sense that that they were going to win. Um, but and you know, what's crazy is that 
just one thing had to go the Falcons' way, and the Patriots would have been done. Like, but they had the ball on their 20-yard line. But then a forty what forty seven yard field goal? Yeah, on the Patriots. Thirty seven yard field goal. Patriots twenty yard line. Uh, yeah. And um just I mean it got a sack, got a holding call. And that was with like five minutes left. So it's just um kind of an incredible series of events. All right, so it's officially uh baseball season now. Uh NBA playoffs, March Madness, uh aren't for a month or two, so uh they kind of happen as baseball gets going. So officially baseball season in my mind. Uh, spring training kicks off in a couple weeks, uh, so we're excited to uh, to talk about that. Before we get going, well, first I guess let's uh, let's preview this this uh, ragtag episode. Um, we have uh, an interview with Craig Edwards from Fangraphs, also a Cardinals writer, and that uh, that'll come at the end of the podcast. And we recorded that on. Uh, Sunday afternoon, uh, so that will sound uh, much better than than this. And you might be asking, if that uh, little interview didn't have any sound issues, why did the podcast that we recorded have sound issues? And that would be a great uh, question for a listener to answer and and email me because I am <laughs> not I am not sure. Uh, so that comes at the end. Uh, before that, we will do uh, some uh, baseball on TV and then out of the box. But it should be a a pretty short, uh, short episode. But I think uh, Craig's interview is well worth a listen. So make sure to stick around. We uh, we had a a new segment that we were ready to debut, but I guess we'll just have to hold that off until uh, episode eighty three, and uh, that means it'll just be that much better. Um, so you'll learn about Bo Jackson next episode in a in a new segment that we're doing. Uh, but first, uh, let's do our Nelly update. Thanks to him for our intro song. Uh, he was he was tweeting quite a bit during the Super Bowl, so uh, that was fun. But a, a few different things on the Nelly front. First up, uh, there's a uh, internet war between Nelly fans and Drake fans as to who is the better, more prominent artist, pop culture icon of their day. Paul, we recorded yesterday, and so I... Uh, I know your answer to this question, but have you have you reconsidered it all, or are you still Team Drake? Of course not. No, I I'm, I'm still on Team Drake, and I think you're you're overestimating Nelly's and underestimating Drake's. Uh, What's your favorite Drake song? Uh, that's a great question. But see, I don't know a Nelly song either. You know, I'm not the, I'm not know, the person to ask. How about the Nelly song that we play every week on the podcast? Well, yeah, I know that one. How but... about Hot in Here? Yes, but if you name Drake songs right now, I would also like if you gave me the title, I would also. I don't think so. Recognize them. Uh, so Paul's team Drake. I'm team Nelly. Nelly had a uh, underrated portfolio of of great music um, that spanned uh, almost a decade. Uh, Nelly is still a big deal. He's got four million Twitter followers, and he was popular even before Twitter was out. So that shows you how popular he was uh, with a generation of people. Drake is obviously much more popular now, but uh, he does not have the depth of the uh, of the uh, music portfolio that Nelly does. <laughs> this uh, this is a um, a debate that we'd like you to chime in on. So feel free to email or tweet at us at a foot in the box and a foot in the box at gmail dot com. Tell us if you're Team Drake or Team Nelly. Nelly update number two. Uh, he's on tour right now. It's called the Symphony Tour. 
uh, he uh, pairs up with a city's local orchestra to play a show. Uh, he just played in St. Louis and Nashville this past weekend. Did Pittsburgh and Columbus last year. And the review in the St. Louis Dispatch was actually pretty positive. Uh, I'll quote here. It says, uh, His repertoire, for whatever reasons, lent itself to these symphonic arrangements quite well. The show was a great example of the point that almost anything can be enhanced with some orchestration behind it. That's surprising. I wonder if he got kind of a, some hometown favor there. Because he, he was born in St. Louis, right? He was not born in St. Louis, but grew up in St. Louis. Yeah. I wonder what a ticket goes for for that. Would yeah. you pay Would you pay $20 to see that at the game of Champagne? Yes. $50? Uh, uh, $30 would probably be my line. All right, number three. There's a TV show on Spike called Lip Sync Battle. Apparently it's uh, quite popular. John Krasinski, Jim from The Office, is a executive pu- producer of the show. The most recent episode, Tony Gonzalez uh, battled Ray Lewis. And the way the show works is there's just two celebrities and they just do lip sync battles against each other and then the the audience votes on their favorite uh so gonzalez went against ray lewis uh lewis picked uh the song that he came out to as a player with the ravens which is hot in here by nelly midway through his performance nelly uh came out on stage crowd goes nuts and uh, that leads to a ray lewis victory against gonzalez uh so that was entertaining we'll link to that episode if you'd like to watch uh, last uh, last bit of uh, of Nelly update that I have for you. So the Super Bowl, of course, happened over the weekend. Uh, Lady Gaga performed at the halftime show. Paul, did you have a chance to watch that? I did. Yeah, it was uh, it was kind of mesmerizing. Like the first, at least the first uh, two or three minutes, like when she jumped from the uh, the platform. That was one of the more like uh, intense moments of a Super Bowl halftime show I can remember. Wow. Uh, so Nelly performed the 2001 and 2004 Super Bowls. Uh, we played the 2001 audio last May as our Nelly updates, and uh, Rolling Stones actually ranked that the fourth best halftime show ever. Uh, 2004 was the uh, uh, the big wardrobe malfunction between Janet Jackson and Justin Timberlake. Nelly also performed. Uh, it's overshadowed, though. Um, so that one is ranked much lower. All right, well, that uh, that's your Nelly update. Probably the longest one we've ever done. Uh, Paul, do you have anything to discuss before we do baseball on TV? I, we have a free agent update. When we recorded this yesterday, I had mentioned that the, the two biggest names that were still out there in terms of the free agents were uh, Matt Leaders and Jason Hamill. And one of those is off the board. Jason Hamill looks like he's going to sign with the Royals. So there you go. You got uh, a, Matt Leaders. I think you got a two-year deal, right? Uh, I actually didn't. Uh, I didn't dig into it too much. Yeah, I think you got a two-year. I don't deal. know. Two-year deal. Yeah, sounds about right. I think uh, your consensus yesterday was kind of that uh, teams like the White Sox should be interested. Um, but um, yeah, if you got a two-year deal, then that obviously makes sense for him to sign. Other big news this past week, of course, was the Cardinals' punishment. Chris Correa, uh, his hacking into the Astro system leads to punishment 
uh, to the Cardinals organization, but we're going to talk about that with uh, Craig Edwards later, so we won't touch on that too much. And then uh, Carlos Martinez signed an extension, and we also asked Craig about that. Uh, so those are, I think, the biggest issues uh, in baseball, so, but we're going to talk about those later. One last thing before we do baseball on TV. Uh, In-market streaming is now up to 27 of 30 markets for 2017. So the, the Cubs and White Sox just... Uh, just were added to this, and that means that if you have a cable subscription and get you know the baseball team in your market, if you get their games on your cable package, you will be able to uh, watch that that team or that game on your phone or your iPad or any sort of connected device uh, through the uh, the app that the team is their rights are owned by. So, Cubs and White Sox have Comcast, so that's owned by NBC. So you have to use the NBC app to uh, to stream those. Uh, last year, all the Fox uh, teams, uh, you could watch it through the Fox app, Fox Sports app. Uh, and I think their goal is to get up to all 30 teams uh, for this year. So uh, that'll be interesting. It doesn't impact uh, Paul and I too much because we both have uh, DirecTV. Uh, but I guess if you are a cord cutter uh, and you can use someone else's login info, this would uh, this would definitely be a big uh, bonus to your baseball viewing yeah, it seems like vacation and like work are kind of the two main areas where that might be beneficial to folks who already have cable. Definitely, yeah, traveling uh, is a big one. But I guess if you're traveling too far away, you know, outside of the market, then you would just be able to get it on MLB TV anyway. True, but like I think a lot of hotels don't carry. Like it would be, it'd be hard um, in a lot of hotels to get that. Well, MLB TV, you can just get it on your phone or your iPad or computer. Yeah. I don't think any I don't think any hotel has MLB TV. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right. Uh moving on to baseball on TV. This is where we recap a baseball themed uh episode of a TV show. This week we have King of Queens, season six, episode six. The title is Affidavit Justice. Uh, King of Queens is uh, one of my favorite shows. Uh, Kevin James plays the main character of Doug Heffernan. He is a uh, a uh, package delivery man uh, that works in uh, in Queens, in New York City. And his wife Carrie works for a law firm. And Carrie's uh, father Arthur lives in their basement. So this episode, um, which we watched yesterday and then talked about yesterday. And we'll talk about it again now. Uh, Doug has to go to Carrie's uh, annual summer company picnic for the law firm she works for. Doug is not excited about it, and uh, and Carrie kind of drags him there. But once he gets there, Doug loves playing uh, slow pitch softball, and there's a game that that uh, takes place. And so he he gets into it, scores the winning run uh, when he he bowls over the catcher at home plate. Carrie's very embarrassed by that, but uh, some lawyers. Watching the game, notice that Doug is, is pretty good, so they ask him to uh, to be a fake lawyer so that he can play on their company, their law firm's uh, softball team. So, of course, Doug does that. Kerry uh, has to answer his phone calls because he's a, a fake lawyer, and so that causes some tension and then uh, eventually leads to Doug uh, getting an offer to join another law firm. And... Uh, Carrie continues to think it's not a good idea, and then Doug uh, tears his 
uh, ACL or, or tears up his knee rounding third in uh, in one of the games towards the end of the episode. So that was the episode. I enjoyed it. Uh, Paul, I know from yesterday that you enjoyed the uh, kind of secondary storyline from the episode. Yes, the secondary storyline uh, was, uh, was pretty interesting and uh, a little edgy. Uh, Arthur, who... Um, I don't know if you mentioned this or not, Pete. Uh, he's Carrie's uh, dad, and uh, it's probably mid-70s, early 80s, lives in the basement, and uh, he he finds a genealogy report that indicates that his family had uh, slaves several hundred years ago, and so he uh, gets quite concerned and, and offers Deacon, Doug's friend, African-American friend, uh, retributions for that um, money. But then uh, at the end of the episode, finds out that it was... Uh, uh, Spinner and not Spooner for the last name, and therefore uh, uh, tries to get his money back. But yeah, I, I feel like King of Queens is anytime you uh, kind of break down a single episode, it doesn't do justice to kind of the, the comfort the show brings. Um, <laughs> but um, but that's probably the case with a lot of shows. I feel like I love The Office; it's my favorite show. But if you spent ten minutes breaking down each episode, you probably end up just saying. You kind of have to see it to, um, to get it or understand it. All right, well, we'll play a clip here, and then uh, when we come back, it'll be uh, time for Out of the Box. Yeah, Doug just wanted to apologize for running into you like that at the game, right, honey? Yeah, I did. I'm sorry about that. I guess you won't be blocking the plate next time, though, will you? Oh, <laughs> uh, don't worry about it. It's his own fault. That's what happens when you let a corporate lawyer do a litigator's job. <laughs> <laughs> That is funny. <laughs> anyway, this is great. Thank you so much. You know, much. I like the way you play, Doug. I like your hustle. Really? Carrie, could you grab us some coffee? Doug, you want some coffee? Uh, sure. Honey, you know how I like it. <laughs> sure. Be right back, sweetie. <laughs> you know, our firm has a team. We play in the Lawyers League Saturdays in the park, and I am sick of getting our heinies kicked. How'd you like to come play for us? Uh, but I'm not a lawyer. Well, nobody has to know that. Yeah, you get out there and you fudge it. <laughs> you could do that for us, couldn't you, Doug? Well, I do like fudge. <laughs> Excuse me, um, I really don't think that's a good idea. Oh, I think it's a great idea. Why am I not drinking coffee? <laughs> so how would this work now? I just uh, show up at the ball field carrying a briefcase? Or... <laughs> oh, you're marvelous. No, you just tell them you're new to the firm. We'll set you up with a phone line here in case anybody calls. We'll have Carrie answer the phone. Won't that be cute? Um, if I can just offer a thought here. You know what my thought is? Bagels. <laughs> Onion. So the article that I read this week for uh, for my Out of the Box um, was by Eno Saris of Fangraphs. Um, and uh, is entitled, is baseball the least random sport? And uh, it, was a, it was a pretty brief article. He's uh, kind of summarizing and pointing readers to a study that was just recently done, or uh, I guess a paper would be the right word for it, um, uh, from three academics. Ben Bomber is one of them. They might sound familiar to some folks. He uh, used to work in um, LMB front office. Um, but there are three, three folks, um, one of which is from Loyola, Chicago, which... It's just a couple hours away, but uh, they set they set out to try to to answer the question um, that many of us ask, which is, how often does the best team win 
in a given sport. And they're looking specifically at kind of the four major professional sports, so the NBA, NFL, NHL, and Major League Baseball, obviously. Um, so, and the conclusion they come to is that baseball is actually the most random sport and that the best team wins the least often, um, which, you know, is, is I feel like, debatable. Um, it's a difficult question to answer, and so the, the conclusion they come to is, is obviously up for debate. But a couple of nuggets that I wanted to point out uh, that I found really interesting one is that um, they concluded that baseball has the, the smallest home field advantage. So that you're talking the home team um, uh, in other sports has a greater significance uh, to the outcome than in baseball, which I feel like is is, um, is kind of intuitive, or that, that's something that I've I've kind of speculated for a while. And could you, could you please night- explain home field advantage to us again? <laughs> Um, no, that's right. Uh, then the second nugget, uh, was that baseball had the most parity, which again, you know, it, it seems pretty intuitive, but I guess it's just interesting that, uh, that their research validates this and the, the Cubs winning this past year maybe causes some of us to think that, yeah, the, the, the best team does win most often in baseball, but, um, that's according to them, obviously not the case all the time. So probably would get more press, I think, in previous years um, when, the, when the best team doesn't win, or what's perceived to be the best team doesn't win the World Series. Yeah, that's, uh, that's an interesting article. I'll have to check that out. Uh, my article comes from Yahoo. Uh, Mark Townsend is the, uh, the writer. The, um, the topic is Rob Manfred and pace of play, which we've talked about quite a bit uh, previously. And uh, this information can be found in a lot of different places. Uh, Mark is uh, from the Chicago suburbs, though, so I uh, wanted to give him a shout-out. But it's just a good uh, overview of, of uh, some recent comments that Commissioner Rob Manfred uh, made on Pace of Play. And there's actually uh, there was an update um, earlier this afternoon. So uh, I guess maybe the timing of, of this podcast is, is good. Uh, so the it all stems back to kind of the length of the game and, and pace of play. Uh, so in 2014, the average nine-inning game uh, lasted three hours and two minutes. And Manfred took over and thought that that was uh, just too much, that games were going by uh, too slowly. And so he, uh, he made some changes, uh, mandated that players keep one foot in the box. That's where we get our podcast name. And uh, that helped quite a bit. They shaved six minutes off the average game time. It was down to two hours and 56 minutes in 2015. But they uh, they didn't really enforce the uh, the foot-in-the-box rule uh, this past year, and so game times went back up to three hours. Uh, Manfred is still committed to uh, seeing some progress in this area. And so the two things that he threw out uh, in a, in a recent press conference or interview was, uh, limiting mound visits during the game and then a 20 second pitch clock. Uh, so those are two big issues. And then the, the news today was that, um, baseball, uh, has sent over to the players association two rule changes, uh, for this upcoming year proposed rule changes. One would be raising the strike zone the bottom of it from the bottom of the kneecap to the top of the kneecap. And then the second one would be 
not having to throw four pitches to intentionally walk someone, you can just say, you know, I want to walk him, and then he would get to, the player would get to go to first. So I guess, Paul, what uh, what are your thoughts on uh, all four of these uh, rule changes? So does, does the fact that they sent over those two rule changes mean that the pitch clock and the mound visits aren't coming, or is it just they kind of do it intermittently? Definitely not for this upcoming year. Okay. Um, second question, do they give any, or did Manfred give any um, hints at, like, what the mound visit um, policy would be. I didn't see like any. This? I didn't see any specifics. No. Okay. Because uh, the pitch clock you mentioned is they have discussed twenty seconds. That's what in an, he was. He kind of went through a scenario and he used twenty seconds. Okay. Yeah, cause I, th- I mean, I think the uh, on paper or theoretically, a lot of people would agree that mound visits have gotten out of control and that pitchers are taking too long. But I guess it's it's kind of nailing down what the specifics are of punishment um and like the details that like it's kind of hairy i think that the pitch clock is obviously the biggest one that would impact the game Uh, i am not a huge fan of the intentional walk uh rule change because if you think about it when teams walk somebody there's usually quite a bit of drama like you don't walk someone unless there's winners on base uh and so uh those pitches and that you know maybe 40 seconds of gameplay uh you could shave that but it's also i mean no one's complaining about how slow it's going during that that part of the game there's usually some intrigue you know you can talk about who's coming up next that sort of thing pitch clock i could be convinced on the fact that manfred has seen it play out in the minors makes me um more optimistic about it and then uh the strike zone i'm also a fan of um, I think raising it will increase uh, balls in play, so there'll be less strikeouts, and I think it'll be uh, it'll mean more offense as well. My personal favorite thing about intentional walks uh, was like the the pitchers who are clearly uncomfortable doing it, and uh, who would either like um, throw it way too close to the plate, where like you have the Miguel Cabrera example of getting a base hit, or or like they almost airmail the catcher. Mm-hmm. Um, but it'll be sad to see that go. <laughs> yep, and I think one thing to note, um, uh, Nathaniel Groh, who we had on a, uh, about a month ago, or two months ago now, in December to talk about the CBA, he talked about how these issues uh, probably weren't um, going to get passed very soon, or they weren't very high priority because they weren't in the CBA. And I think uh, we're obviously seeing that that's not the case. So uh, not to discredit Nathaniel, but uh, it seems like uh, Manfred still sees them as a priority and uh, just saw them as something that could be worked on outside of the CBA. seems like perhaps the, there's more um, kind of broad uh, agreement from the players and the, the owners because if it had been something that the, only the owners and Manfred are interested in, they probably would have, would have used the CBA as leverage a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. All right, do you have any other thoughts? Uh, nope. All right, well, uh, next we would have done our new segment, but we will save that for episode 83, so you can wait another week and a half for that. Um, instead, we're going to go straight to the interview that we did with Craig Edwards. Uh, it's a it's a good one. We talked about the, uh, the big Cardinals hacking issue and then also 
Carlos Martinez's extension and the upcoming uh, season and what he's looking forward to. So uh, here is Craig Edwards. We're joined now by Craig Edwards, who is a writer at Fangraphs and the managing editor at Viva Albertos, the uh, SB Nation Cardinals sites. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Craig J. Edwards. Welcome to our podcast, Craig. Hey, how's it going, guys? It is going well. Super Bowl Sunday. You got a you got a pick for tonight before uh, dive into some Cardinals. Uh, you know, uh, Patriots are always tough to beat, but uh, I'm I'm going for the Falcons here. Uh, were you a Rams fan before they? The, the no, owner, the owner moved uh, them? I was in I was in that weird uh, weird box of uh, kids who you know when I was eight. Uh, St. Louis didn't have a football team, so I, I started cheering for the Broncos, and then by the time the Rams came, I was, you know, I, I had already had my affiliations, and, and I wasn't switching, so. Gotcha. Well, uh, we can dive in, and I'll, I'll begin by asking a question that you've probably been asked uh, a thousand times already, but uh, but what did you make of MLB's punishment towards the Cardinals handed down on Monday? You know, at first glance, uh, it seemed like the general sentiment was maybe that the the two million and the the two draft picks was a little light, but uh, just curious what your your personal take was. Yeah, it did seem that the consensus was was that it was light, and you know I I'd like to think I'm not looking at things through too biased of a lens, but uh, you know I, I think that that the punishment was was actually pretty fair. Um, I know that people didn't like that there wasn't necessarily like a first round pick taken away. Um, I think that's, you know, just because the Cardinals didn't have a first round pick uh, coming up. And I think, you know, a second and a third, or actually it's a second and then an end of second before a third pick. Um, I mean, that's, that's probably a roughly equivalent of, of a first round pick. Um, I understand that people think it, it should have been more, but you know, at the same time, those picks do go directly to the Astros. And I, I think that, you know, enacting some sort of like, you know, punishment, punishment just to, to see the Cardinals suffer doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So I, I think that uh, I think it was fine that, that the picks went directly to the Astros. They were the team that, that you know, was was wronged in this situation. And so overall, uh, I think that it was it was about fair. Um, but. You know, I, I understand other people's arguments, but when there's there's a guy in prison, I don't I don't think you need to send uh, a big message to sort of deter other teams from from engaging in this type of behavior. That's uh that's something I don't think a lot of people uh, have talked about is that this guy's in prison for four years. He broke the law, and so that's why he's there. But um, I feel like everyone kind of rushed to think about it from a, a baseball standpoint when this guy went you know went to jail. It's like a big deal. Yeah, I think when you look at, you know, also from his perspective, um, you know, he's not getting another job in, in baseball and he's looking at, you know, four years in prison. You know, if he could have rolled over on somebody, you you would think that that he would have, you know, the, the bridges are sort of burned in, in that regard. And if you can spend less time in a federal prison, I would think that you would do just about anything <laughs> um to 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 accomplish that and you know do i think that it, his his motives at the beginning were he claimed he was just going in there to take a a peek to see if uh the astros had stolen stuff but uh, obviously over the course of time uh it, you know it it showed a, a pretty good pattern of him 
uh, looking at the Astros, you know, database and scouting reports for stuff that would help him in his job with with the Cardinals. I guess with that being said, do you feel pretty confident in saying that it was only Correa that was involved? Like, do you feel like he was a Lone Ranger? Because that that seemed to be the sentiment back in 2015 when they fired him was, you know, there's no way this could have just been him. But it seems like, you know, MLB's investigation didn't reveal anything further. And like you said, he, you know, he didn't out anyone. So do you feel pretty confident in saying that it was just him? It seems like that that was the case. You know, I know that there was the, the testimony where he he was asked who he told and he said he told some colleagues. But I think that question was in reference to whether or not the Astros had taken things. And that's sort of a different question than, you know, it, who he told that, you know, he was he was hacking into the Astros database. And I think that from Correa's perspective as a guy who had worked his way into the Cardinals organization and, uh, you know, was trying to rise up in the ranks. If you were, you know, doing some sort of, of criminal activity that is going to help out your job, uh, it would make sense to, to, to keep that uh, a secret. You know, if you find out this other information about Marco Gonzalez or some other prospect or whatever, and you can say, oh, I have, you know, my sources. Well, that's going to that's going to sound a lot better from coming from you when you're trying to get a promotion later uh, than if you say, oh, I, you know, I used a, an old password and, and hacked into their computers. I mean, that's you, you want to look you want to come across looking as good as possible. And and it, it seems like the, the best way to do that would would be to keep that information secret. You know, obviously, I can't say with, you know, 100 percent certainty, but there's definitely a very real and plausible scenario where uh, Correa keeps things to himself in order to further his, his aspirations with the Cardinals. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And kind of thinking about the, the long-term impacts of this, I know uh, Bob Nightingale wrote a piece saying sort of the, the biggest punishment from this would be the blemish on the, on the Cardinals' reputation. Do you foresee any kind of long-term or permanent negative effect that that this whole story will have on the Cardinals, or do you think it'll be just kind of an afterthought in five to ten years? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't think that that's really too big of a factor. I mean, obviously, it, it's going to hurt the Cardinals' reputation. It probably actually hurts the Astros' reputation more because they're the ones that had their sort of dirty laundry aired uh, when when everything was leaked. As far as the Cardinals having a this pristine reputation, I think that's more of a um, you know, media sort of perpetuates that stereotype and, you know, fans love it that, you know, either if you're a Cardinals fan, then, you know, like you try to pretend maybe that you're holier than thou. And if you're not a Cardinals fan, then you sort of love to bash that stereotype. But I think that as far as the Cardinals interactions with people, I, I, I really don't see that you know, souring things too much. I mean, the, the same thing happened last year when, when the Cardinals drafted Delvin Perez in the first round after he tested positive for um, some sort of PED ahead of the draft. And he ended up falling to the Cardinals to later in the first round when people had thought that he was maybe uh, a top five talent. And people were saying how this is damaging to the Cardinals' reputation. You know, they shouldn't be taking players like this. But um, I think, you know, all of that gets gets sort of washed away time goes by and especially if if you keep winning um that's just sort of thing that people will bring up but 
doesn't really affect business too much. Yeah, switching over to uh, another Cardinals topic, uh, the Carlos Martinez extension this week, five years, $51 million, and then possibly uh, uh, with two options, possibly even through 2023. Uh, again, the consensus was pretty strong in one direction that the uh, the Cardinals got you know the better end of the deal rather than Martinez. Um, I read uh, your work. You had a good piece on, on Fangraphs about that. In the piece, you talked about a possibility of why Martinez accepted the, the deal. Uh, maybe go into that a little bit more. I guess overall, you, you probably say that the Cardinals got the better end of the deal, right? Yeah, I, I think that you know th- this could be a, a gigantic bargain for the Cardinals. You know, Martinez is all already a very good pitcher, and and at 25, he still has uh, you know the potential to take another step forward, and and you know to be an ace, be like one of the guys getting Cy Young votes at the end of the year. And if you can get that uh, for longer than the three years that the Cardinals had him, um, in this case, at least two and perhaps a couple more. I mean, that that's it's a deal that's hugely beneficial uh, for the Cardinals. From from Martinez's perspective, you know, it's it's hard to judge him uh, for for taking that deal. You know, if he is looking in front of him, you know, he can have $4 million for one year, which is what he was going to get in arbitration with maybe the hopes of getting a $200 million contract uh, in, in three more years. Or he has the option of, of taking the the guaranteed $50 million. And if he's still playing well, he's going to get another $35 million. And then at the end of that, he'll still be 31 years old. And if he's still doing really well, you know, he'll, he'll still be in position to get a contract for $100 million or more. Now, that it puts those discussions further down the line and makes, you know, him less likely to get that monster deal. You know, it's possible that this deal could cost him, you know, in, in the range of $100 million. But at the same time, if you're looking at $4 million versus $51 million, this is the system that the owners and the players have set up. They've set up a system where, you know, you get drafted, you spend two or three years, maybe four years in the minor leagues, then you spend another six years in the major leagues before you get that taste of free agency. And this isn't something that is unique to Carlos Martinez. Teams take advantage of that this all the time. You know, the Chris Sale just got traded um, because he had, you know, three extra years on his contract. The White Sox got a good deal with Chris Sale. Uh, by guaranteeing him about thirty million dollars, and, and they got those extra seasons. And the the system is set up to where if teams can put up a big enough guarantee, uh, in this case for for Martinez, this is the the biggest guarantee any team had had given a pitcher uh, entering entering arbitration. But at the same time, it, it sort of still feels light compared to what he would have gotten in free agency. But you know, Martinez is twenty five. You know, two years ago, he's he saw that. Oscar Taveras died after only making a couple hundred thousand dollars uh, just within the last few weeks. Jordano Ventura, uh, also from the Dominican Republic, um, passed away. And it, 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 that's sort of something that, that could play uh, into whether or not Martinez would be more or less likely to agree to a deal that's going to guarantee him $50 million. He's a young parent, and uh, he's set you know, his kids up um, for life, essentially, um, regardless of if the first day of spring training, his shoulder blows out and he can never pitch again. He's set up and, and you can't really fault him for, for making a decision like this. It's 
it's an individual decision that he doesn't get to make, you know, a bunch of times and then, you know, take the average of, of whatever, uh, you know, outcomes he gets. He only gets to make the decision one time. And given that information, it, it's hard to fault him for, for passing that money up. Uh, moving on to, to other things, uh, you know, you're gearing up for another season of, of writing about baseball. Uh, what gets you excited? What, you know, players are you looking forward to covering? What teams, um, what storylines are you um, looking forward to in 2017? Well, I, I mean, from a Cardinals perspective, I think that it, it'll be really interesting to see, um, you know, who who sort of steps up. Um, you know, you've got Carlos Martinez who can maybe take another step forward to, to be an ace. And you've got a bunch of, you know, Alex Reyes has the opportunity to, to cement himself alongside Martinez at the top of the Cardinals rotation. And and Wainwright, you know, is, is looking to bounce back. And then you've got guys like Diaz and Gritchick and Piscotti and Wong who, you know, are sort of in that tier of, you know, they're sort of average players and you, you hope that they can take a, a, a further step forward to, to cement themselves as part of the Cardinals future. You know, as far as Major League wide, I, I think that everybody wants to know, you know, what, what the Cubs are going to do uh, this season, how they're going to come back. And then um, I think, you know, Ken Rosenthal wrote, wrote a piece recently about the, the trading deadline and how, how it absolutely you know bonkers uh depending on who's available and you know who gets off to a good start but the one player that i'm really interested in seeing what happens with it is manny machado the orioles if they fall out of the race they could you know decide that it's better to trade him with a year and a half left than to sort of go into to 2018 as sort of a, a lame duck year as he as he hits free agency and uh if somebody like manny machado would, would be made available i mean we're we're looking at something like the the Chris Sale return that that we saw over the winter, and Jose Quintana is still out there. You've got you know a handful of Royals players that are all pending free agents. So I think that how the first half you know sort of shapes up, who gets off to good starts and who who falls behind could could have a major impact on on what we see towards July and and the pennant race. Great. Well, uh, we do appreciate you jumping on with us. As I mentioned, you can uh, you can read Craig's work at Viva Albertos uh, and also on Fangraphs, and you can follow him on Twitter at Craig J Edwards. Craig, uh, we look forward to reading your work this year, and thanks for joining us. No problem. Thanks you. Thanks again to Craig for joining us. Um, really enjoy his work. Go check him out at Fangraphs and uh, follow him on Twitter. Uh, our next podcast will hopefully be a normal one, uh, both for your sake as a listener and our sake, so we don't have to record <laughs> multiple times. If you ever uh, want to test a relationship, you should uh, you should record a podcast twice with someone. <laughs> See how that goes. I feel I feel like our second recordings are a lot of times better though. I always just hate having to kind of say the same things like if you have any sort of yeah. opinion it's just weird to have to say it the second time it seems pretty forced yeah sometimes i wonder like uh with like the skip bayless show on espn or i guess that's on fs1 now if you were to do the same show like twice in the same day if you would even remember his hot takes <laughs> earlier that day his opinions would change yeah all right uh well you... we've made it through it we have. We survived. Uh, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Make sure to leave us a review there. Uh, our brother Kevin left one uh, last week. 
So follow Kevin's example and review our podcast. Uh, you can uh, send us emails at a foot in the box at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at a foot in the box and check us out online at a foot in the box.com. Uh, like I said, we'll be back in a couple weeks with, uh, with better sound quality and a, uh, a new segment. We'll also be uh, discussing the baseball prospectus. Uh, the baseball annual? Yes. Baseball prospectus, their annual preview. Uh, so we'll be uh, doing some stuff for that. Paul, do you have anything else for the listeners out there? Nope. Other than uh, hope you have a, uh, an excellent Tuesday or uh, whatever day of the week you're listening to. And uh, just a reminder to keep a foot in the box. We'll talk to you next week. My eyes are getting weary. My back is getting tight. I'm sitting here in traffic on the Queensboro Bridge tonight. But I don't care because all I want to do is cash my check and drive right home to you. Because maybe 